the simple beauty of those last several words of that song, Jesus Christ, the risen one. Now, I love that because what it points to is our faith in Jesus. We have received that risen life. The, the, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ has come to dwell inside of us. And over these past few weeks, we've been doing a study of, of uh, Colossians. And uh, that's the focus that we see over and over in Paul's writing to these people. He's writing to people that he doesn't know, but he knows that they've come to faith in Jesus. And he's reminding them of that resurrected life that they have through faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we continue our study, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on living the new life, living the new life that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to um, Colossians chapter 2 this morning. I've lost my outline. Uh, and I'll read it this morning as a brother Jeff, as he makes his way to the pulpit. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? Good morning. Good morning. Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Mm. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. Well, Lord God, we thank you for these words, the power of these words. We pray that they would go down deep into our soul, into our spirit. We pray that they would be effective, Lord, that we may live that new life that you've given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. May that life be real to us today. We pray for this and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. you. may be seated. Thank you, Jeff. Living the new life. I want to draw your attention that we're not talking about living a new life. There's all kinds of things that go with that. What we're talking about is living the new life. And the new life is that resurrected life of Jesus Christ The moment that you and I trusted in him as Lord and Savior, he came to invade us, to live inside of us eternally, forever and ever. Amen. There is a a great uh, teacher and counselor from Dallas, Texas. His name is uh, Bob George. And uh, Bob George would say over and over again a little phrase that has helped me understand that new life. And it goes like this. Jesus laid down his life for us to give his life to us so that he could live his life through us. He laid down his life for us at a cross 2,000 years ago. So through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, by faith, he can give his life to us. But once he's given us his life to us, he's not into us to be dormant. He comes into us that he might live his life through us. Now, Paul is writing, once again, to people that are, their, their faith has been shaken. Uh, he's writing to people that are, uh, have lost their identity, lost their, uh, their assurance. And in this portion of the letter, this chapter 2, he's about to teach them and remind them, in fact, that they, they've been set free. They've been set free from all kinds of uh, religious regulations. Uh, the speculation is that there have been Jewish people that came in behind him and said, well, it's great, you know Jesus, but you need to follow dietary laws, you need to be circumcised, you need to do all these things. 
And Paul is saying in chapter 2, no way, you have been set free by the grace of Jesus. But before he does that, he reminds them and teaches them of the new life that they receive through faith in Jesus. You and I need to be reminded of that new life, that powerful, wonderful new life that we have in Christ Jesus. So I want you to see three progressive steps that he helps them understand will help us understand in a deeper, more powerful way what God has done for us and what God is doing in us and through us. So if you have your outline, I'd I'd like you to write down several words for me. Very simple. The first one is, Jesus is the director of my life. Jesus is the director of my life. Now as you write that down, in Acts chapter 5, verse 20, there's a great little verse where the angel of the Lord comes to the disciples. They're facing some, some persecution. And he says this, Go into the temple courts and tell them, continue to tell them, of the message of the fullness of this new life. This new life that they received. That Now, Christ Jesus, before it was the Sanhedrin, before it was the, the Pharisees, before it was the temple, but now it's the presence, the power of Christ Jesus. That is the new life, and that's the new life that you and I have through faith in Jesus. But, here's the caveat. It's one thing to receive the life into you, but it's another thing to live out that life. And to live out that life, you and I must understand that Jesus needs to be the director of our lives. You and I need to make choices in our life that he might be the Lord of our life. Now with that in mind, listen to what Paul says in verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ, in other words, you've exercised your free will, you've made a choice in your life, you've received him into your life, you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Now, you, you are probably familiar with this little phrase. You've probably heard it multitudes of times. People will say, I have said numerous times in my life, I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, we have received Jesus as our Savior because we know that he has forgiven us of our sins. And basically, he's our ticket to heaven. The Apostle Paul speaks of that in Ephesians 1. He says the Holy Spirit has come into you as a, as a deposit, as a guarantee for the good things to come. Now, the challenge is this. It's one thing to receive Jesus as Savior, to know that your sins have been forgiven and that you're going to heaven, but it's a whole different ball game to, to, to surrender to Jesus as Lord, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. We in our lives, we have all kinds of dreams and aspirations. We have dreams and aspirations for our children. We want them to go to school. We want them to get a good education. We want them to make a lot of money, all of these things. We want to do the same thing in our life. But Jesus says, wait a minute. It's not your life. It's my life. I've given you my life. It's my life that's in you now. So my heart's desire is that you would begin to surrender to me, to obey me to live out the life that I have called you to. There's a whole different ball game there to call Jesus the Lord of my life, to call Jesus the director of my life. That takes faith. That takes courage. That takes giving ourselves over to him, obeying him more and more in our lives. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Now, your roots grow down deep into him. He's using an agricultural metaphor, we call that. It's a picture. Throughout this, uh, this letter, he says time and time again that you might bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what's he talking about, this fruit material? 
Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23. He says, the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, all of the fruits of the, of, of the Spirit, we've received those fruits of the, of the Spirit, but they're no good to us unless we make Jesus the Lord and director of our lives. We must make that choice to surrender to him more and more. As we do that, our roots begin to go down deep into him. As they go down deep into him, we experience more and more of his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness. But the truth of the matter, of our, uh, the truth of the matter is many of our lives are full of anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. And so we're letting that root go down, and that root gets bitter in our life. God wants to replace that root with love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. But it only comes when we say, God, it's not my life anymore, it's your life. I give up, I surrender to you, I choose now to obey you and give up all those things. To build my life on you, that you would be my foundation. Jesus said in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24 through uh, verse 27, Whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the, the streams rose, the wind came against that house, but it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But over, here's my words, and does not put them into practice, is like the foolish man, builds his house on sand. The rains came down, the rivers flowed, the wind blew, but that house fell with a great crash. Why? Because the person was not building their, their foundation on Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Surrender to Jesus, obey Jesus. And here's what he says, what's going to happen? Look, at, look, look what unfolds next. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. You see, that's what we need in our lives, is unshakable truth, the foundation of truth. Uh, the truth you were taught, and then you will overflow with thankfulness. When your life begins to change when you surrender more and more to Jesus and you experience more of his peace working despite the circumstances of your life, there's going to be more joy in your life. You, I can guarantee you, you're going to be more and more thankful to God for your life. This guy named Jason Brown, and, uh, and back in 2011, he was the highest paid center in the NFL, played for the uh, St. Louis, uh, help me somebody, St. Louis Rams. See, you all failed. St. Louis Rams. Okay. He had millions of dollars. He had a mansion. He had a wife and, and children. And, um, but he said that he and his wife, uh, they described themselves as, being, as, as dying on the inside and they were headed to divorce court. But the interesting thing is that uh, Jason said that he was a believing Christian. The problem with his belief was, he said, that I just believe that Jesus forgave my sins and that someday I would go to heaven. But he said, all that changed when I began to let go of the grip I had on money and on football. And the way he said I let go of both, it began by taking uh, this well-stocked bar that I had in my house. I took every bit of that booze and I poured it down the drain in my house. He said, I left the NFL, I left the Rams, and as soon as I left the Rams, I got three opportunities by other pro football teams. I turned all of them down because we sold our mansion. And having sold our mansion, we bought a farmhouse with a dairy barn in the northern part of North Carolina, 1,000 acres. And he said, I was determined that I was going to be a farmer. So I went on YouTube and began to look at videos of how you become a farmer. And he said, to this day, I fail as a farmer, but... What happened was, uh, I dedicated this, this farm to, to the Lord. 
And I began to give away what we were growing. And not only did I give away what we were growing, uh, we began to get more involved with the community around us. And our heart's desire is that, that there would be more and more Bible literacy. So we used the, the, the resources that God gave us to help young people in particular get to know the Word of God, the Bible. He said uh, 10,000 cucumbers later, as well as 100,000 pounds of, of uh, sweet potatoes. He said, I still don't know how to be a farmer. He said, but here's, here's one thing I can tell you. He says, I can tell you what my business plan is and the plan for my life. It's summed up in one word. And that word is obedience. I chose to obey Jesus. See, Paul is saying to them, you've come to faith in Jesus. Your life is getting shaken up. It's because you're not allowing Jesus to be the director of your life, the Lord of your life. That's what God calls you and me to do, to let Jesus be the Lord of our lives. Now, when we do that, it's guaranteed what's going to happen next. And what's going to happen next, the next word I want you to write down, if you turn your paper over, is the word clarity. Jesus brings clarity to my life. Jesus said in in, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. That's very, very clear. For a lot of people, it's very offensive. But it's very, very clear, and but it's very, very true. Now, what Paul was concerned about with the people that he was writing to, uh, once again, other people had come into the church. He wasn't there to protect them. Other people came into the church, and they began to give them all kinds of false teaching, and so they were beginning to question what they had come to believe. So the next thing he tells them is, uh, in verse 8 is, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. Some translations say uh, worldly philosophy philosophy and fine-sounding arguments. And that's what they were doing. They, they had some very compelling arguments that they were bringing to these people, and they were confusing them. Well, we, we see that in our culture today. The world is full of all kinds of, of very fine-sounding arguments all throughout our culture, whether it's from Hollywood or whether it's from science, no matter what it is. And it can be very confusing for you and me. And if we're not solid in our faith, if we're not solid in the Word of God, it's going to be very easy for us to be tossed about. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians. We're tossed about like like infants, children of every, every wind of doctrine. Well, Paul is saying to them, you need to be solid in the Word of God. He goes on to say uh, that these fine-sounding arguments, this high-sounding nonsense, there's, a, there's an origin for it. It comes from human thinking, and human thinking uh, of, of humanity without Christ is always in rebellion against God. And then he says there's spiritual powers behind it, human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. But the contrast there is rather than Christ, rather than Christ. I had hoped to be able to... Uh, to uh, challenge you to go on the internet this week and uh, do a little Google search. And what I wanted you to do was to, to Google in the origins of the universe then put it in the Portland Press-Herald, and here's why. Over the last decade, it's been about five years since I did this, but uh, for a decade, two times in the Portland Press-Herald, there was an article uh, that said that these uh, scientists in Canada had come up with the proof positive that the uh, origins of the universe, the universe did not begin, uh, did not come about over millions of years and billions of years, that in fact they have uh, conclusive evidence that the universe came into being, now listen to this, in less than a second. Stunning. But not only did it come into, uh, into being in less than a second, they claim that yes, there was this type of Big Bang, the Big Bang Theory, the, 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 the evidence is conclusive for that, but when we hear a Big Bang, we think of this just chaotic explosion, we think of bombs and war and things going all these crazy directions, but that's not what happened at all. 
It came into being in, a, in less than a split second, but it came into being precisely. So precisely that right now the, the, the universe is finely tuned that scientists declare that there is what is called the anthropomorphic principle. I don't know if you ever heard of that or not, but it's amazing. That what they've discovered that everything about the universe has clearly been put in place for human beings to live and to thrive. That all of the universe is about people. Now, I would encourage you to watch the movie uh, God is Not Dead. They cite this, this, what I'm telling you about this morning. Uh, they, they tell you about that in the movie. But I'm telling you this because when we are influenced by the world around us, we are convinced that everything happened by random chance. That we evolved from these uh, simple organisms into more complex organisms. But there's just no evidence for that. And in fact, the evidence is mounting for quite the opposite. You see, folks... It's, it's not believing these human thinking, these human traditions, these worldly philosophies. It's counting on Jesus. He is the one that is the creator of the universe. He spoke all things into being. That's why it was a nanosecond for the universe. It's the powerful word of God that you and I would understand that. And as we understand it, our faith will become clearer and clearer and clearer. Jesus brings clarity to my life. And here's the third reason, the third process, the third step that Paul wants them to know. He wants them to know that through faith in Jesus, by making the choice of bringing Jesus into their lives, of receiving him as Lord and Savior, to celebrating the new life that they have received in Christ, they have victory in their lives. Victory in their lives. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And the heartbreaker is that so many of us as Christians, we live defeated lives. When that's not the case at all, we have victory through faith, through this new life that's come into us. But we have to make that choice on a daily basis to make Jesus the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. To allow him to make our life clear, make sense of our life. And when that begins to happen more and more, we experience more and more victory in our lives. I, wanted to, I want you to listen to the next couple of verses because, quite frankly, they're the most stunning, some of the most stunning verses in all of Scripture. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So what he's saying is that Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, was God incarnate. We've heard, we, we celebrate that in particular at Christmas time. That he, he was walking about fully God and fully human. But that's not all Paul is saying in that verse. He's saying that in Christ Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, was all of God the Father, all of God the Son, and all of God the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God, the fullness of the Trinity, dwelt in him as he walked the face of the earth. Now, Paul is not writing this for people to speculate about it. He isn't writing them to say this is a philosophy. He's telling them this is a fact. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's your choice. But whether you, if you don't believe it, it doesn't change the fact that all of God dwelt in Christ Jesus as he walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago. But it doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says in verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Do you get that? The moment that you trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment that you received that new life into you, you got all of God the Father, all of God the Son, and all of God the Holy Spirit. You can't get any more of God than you received the moment that you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's stunning, amazing. 
that you are walking around with the presence and the power of God living in you. No wonder Paul can say you've got victory in this world and in this life. And that you don't have to be defeated by the things of this life. And the more that we make Jesus the Lord of Lord and the director of our life, the more that we allow him to make our life clear before him, make sense of our life, the more we're going to experience that victory that is given to us in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in the rest of the verse, who is Jesus, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Every ruler and authority. Now that has two meanings. First of all, when he says ruler and authority, he's talking about it could have been Caesar those days, it could have been their local governor or whatever it was. He's saying Jesus is over that person. He's over Caesar who controls the world from Rome. But he was also talking about spiritual powers. If you look at Ephesians 6 this week, you'll see in there he talks about uh, powers and principalities. He's saying that Jesus is over the dark spiritual forces, over the demonic realm. Jesus has control over all of that. So no, no matter what it is that you and I are facing in life, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what our mindset is, what our heart is, no matter what's going on, whether it's physical or emotional or financial, whatever it is, it's all underneath Jesus' feet. He is the ruler and authority over all of it. So that you would be encouraged today. That you would be built up by that truth. That you would believe that you have victory today. Because you have the new life coursing through your veins. You have the new life that's taken up residence in your soul, in your spirit, in your body. You have the very new life of Christ walking in you everywhere you go. God has laid down his life for you to give his life to you so that he can live his life through you is greater than anything that you will face. It's something that we are called to celebrate and rejoice in. So here's my challenge for you. Look at the bottom of your second side of the paper, if you would, with me. And down bottom, you'll see Galatians 2.20. Do you see that? And if you look at it, you'll see that I've capitalized life because I I want to hammer that home, that you have that new life, that resurrected life inside of you through faith in Jesus. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going to challenge you to memorize that verse. I'm going to help you. Let's do it right now. Let's read it together. Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That sums it up beautifully, doesn't it? It's not your life anymore. It's Jesus' life. And he wants you to surrender to him. He wants you to obey him. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you get around to it. Today. And when you and I surrender to him more and more, life will make sense. It'll be clearer and clearer what our life is supposed to be about and where God's going. And then, then, we'll know more and more victory in our lives. We're living in a broken world, if you haven't noticed. But all of that is underneath the feet of Jesus. Some of you have heard that, this story before, so I apologize to you. Uh, but for those of you who haven't heard, I think this will help you. It's a story of Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham had a best friend, and his name was Charles Templeton. And in fact, I'm pretty sure it was Charles Templeton that went forward that uh, Friday night when Mordecai Ham came into the little village where uh, Billy lived, and uh, he and Billy and Charles received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They went forward and, and prayed and received Christ. They received that new life into their bodies. 
Well, those two young men were on fire for the Lord, and uh, Billy felt called by God to go off to a Bible college and later uh, seminary, and Charles felt the same calling. But Charles went to Princeton. He went to Princeton University for his undergraduate, then he went to Princeton Theological Seminary for his, uh, for his uh, theological training. And uh, Princeton is what we would call a modernist school, or, or uh, maybe a more common word would be a, a very liberal school theologically. And uh, as he began his training in seminary, he was, he was shaken up. He was beginning to learn in Princeton. The, they were teaching him that the, uh, the Word of God was not the Word of God. It contained the Word of God, but it wasn't completely the Word of God. And uh, all kinds of other things. I received all that same training. And as he received this, it was shaking his faith. So he would write to Billy. And he'd say, Billy, do you realize this about the Bible? Do you realize that about the Bible? And Billy was getting these letters, and he's getting these phone calls. And the more he would hear from Charles, the more his faith was getting shaken. But the problem was, he was at the verge of doing his first crusade in Los Angeles. And if you're familiar with that, it was an amazing crusade. Well, he was getting shaken up on the inside. So what he decided to do was to go into the, the mountains of North Carolina, where he lived, and uh, he sat down on a tree trunk with his Bible, and he began to pray. And he said, God, I'm hearing all these things. I'm reading all these things. And is this true? Is the, i got to know, is this Bible true? I can't keep going on if this Bible is not true. What, what do I do? So as he was praying, it was interesting that a thought came into his mind, and the thought was the old truck that he drove to get where he was. And as he thought about the old truck, he thought that when he got into that truck, he put the key in the ignition, he turned the ignition, and immediately that, that engine fired up. Put the clutch in, and he pointed the truck, and it got him where he was. And he began to say, you know, when I turn that ignition on, I haven't got a clue what it does. I haven't got a clue what the clutch does. I haven't got a clue what the drive shaft does. I haven't got a clue what the radiator does. I don't understand anything that's going on underneath the hood of that old truck. But I do know that when when I point it, when I use it, it gets me where I'm going. And he said, God, you know what? I don't understand this Bible completely. But whenever I apply it to my life, it changes me and it gets me where you're sending me. So, Father, from now on, I'm just going to take you at your word. Well, he did. But Charles didn't. Charles, when he uh, was on his deathbed, um, people there, his family that was gathered around him, they said uh, his last words were, were, Oh, that I might know Jesus once again. But Billy Graham, Billy Graham made Jesus the director of his life. And as he did that, he became clearer and clearer about the direction of his life. And if you know Billy Graham, he had a lot of victory in his life. And because he had victory in his life, hundreds of thousands, millions of people were transformed by the powerful word of God. Now, I would dare guess that just about everybody here knows Billy Graham. But I dare guess most people here have never heard of Charles Templeton. You see, you and I have got to make a choice in our lives. Who's going to be the director of our life? Who's going to be the Lord of our life? How is our life going to be clear, understandable? How do we know where we're going to go? How can we possibly have victory? The Apostle Paul says it's in one person, and that person has given us his life. He's laid it down for us to give his life to us so that he can live his life through us. So friends, we are called to simply do this. 
live the new life. Let's pray. God, we praise you, thank you, glorify you. Because you are holy and beyond our imagination. And we thank you, Father, that you've given to us that new life, that life of Christ Jesus living in us and now having the desire to live through us. But the truth of the matter is, Lord, we have got to make personal decisions in our lives. We've got to determine, am I going to be the Lord of my life or are you going to be the Lord? Am I going to be the director of my life or Jesus, are you going to be the director of my life? Am I going to finally understand that it's not my life, it's your life? But today, I believe with all my heart, by faith, if I'll do that, you're going to make my life clear. But not only will you make my life clear, you will grant to me victory beyond my imagination. Lord, I pray for folks this morning. We all are like sheep that have gone astray. We always want to go our own way. So I pray for all of us. Stand before you on behalf of all of us. And I pray that you would give us a fresh blessing of the Holy Spirit this very moment. That you would breathe into our souls your presence. And that we today would surrender and obey you more and more each and every day. We thank you for this, Lord, and we pray for it. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Amen and amen.